Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man, the best podcast to break down hard-hitting dialogue, such as the following lines. I'm no goose gossage, but my fastball's been clocked at 95 miles per hour in a pinch. And, I feel like I've been playing pat-a-cake with Mr. T. And, Galactus, I return with your Twinkies. Here to provide analysis for those lines, and so much more, is my friend Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? Uh, I'm doing great. I, I don't know who Goose Gossage is at all, but I do know Mr. T um, I would not want to play patty cake with. He would he would hurt me. <laughs> yeah, these are all a good snapshot of what was going on in 1983. Uh, Goose Gossage is a pitcher. He could have been on the, like the Yankees or the White Sox. Uh, okay. uh, Mr. T, of course, member of the A-team, also first appeared in the, well, he definitely was in the A-team. He might have appeared before or after when he was in the Rocky movie. Yes. I believe he was in Clubber Lang in Rocky 3, probably. I think you're so, right. Okay. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk about Galactus and his thing. It's kind of a very special issue. We have four Marvel team-ups to get through today. It says in the notes, some quick background for the listeners, and there's four things here. Two are highlighted for me and two for you. Do you think you can handle your two? I'm glad I got the two I got. One was Marcy Kane. Marcy is a graduate student at ESU. She was helping Peter study, and I think everyone else is very mean to her at ESU. And I eventually she kind of developed a little bit of a love interest towards Peter, but... I don't know. We're going to learn more about her soon. Uh, Kitty Pride is someone we need to know a little bit about. She's X-Men light here. I think she's been recruited right around the 140s of the X-Men. So I think right now the X-Men are up in the one, say, 60s. So maybe it's been a year or two that she's been affiliated with them. She probably is a full-fledged member, but she could be like a junior member. But she's definitely a girl who can phase through walls, and she's definitely a very, very young member of the X-Men at the time. There's no, like, new new, new mutants yet, so. We'll see Franklin Richards again. This is the son of Reed Richards in uh, Sue Storm. I failed to look up. He doesn't have any special powers, does he, James B., right now? Not now. now. Right now, he's just a little boy. How old do you think he is? Oh, he's got to be, like, six, seven? Sure. Good answer. I like that, too. And then there's S.H.I.E.L.D., who, if you watch the MCU movies, you know... Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D., even though he's not really, you know, the same in the books. But S.H.I.E.L.D. is the government agency that, you know, is out there sort of affiliated with the superheroes, sort of. So Doing stuff. (laughs) So that should be able to handle some of the things we need for our books. And our first of the four is from October of 1983. Stanley presents Marvel Team Up 134 featuring Spider-Man and Jack of Hearts in Boys Night Out. And Bill Mantlo. Ron Friends, and Mike Esposito. Eddie, Peter Parker gives directions to Jack Hart, oh boy, who is looking for Marcy Kane. Marcy and Jack were getting involved romantically at New Haven College when an accident killed Jack's father and turned him into... Jack of Hearts. Since then, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents have been trying to contain Jack, who is a danger to himself and the city. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. attacks and Jack blasts through the wall. And Spider-Man initially helps Jack against S.H.I.E.L.D. before he's informed and then realizes he should course correct and he battles Jack. But in the end, Jack surrenders and Marcy Kane suggests that she use her biophysics skills to try and cure him. Notable moment. 
The story continues in the Jack of Heart four-part mini-series featuring Dr. Marcy Kane, a recent graduate of ESU. Wow. Fun fact, James B. Uh, I find it remarkable that it takes Spider-Man three quarters of this book to realize he's fighting S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. I mean, he's fighting them a lot. It's got to be one of our longest obligatory hero battles we've ever seen Spider-Man do, and it's not a particularly good one. It's really wild how Marcy gets wrapped up in this whole plot, too. Did you see that Jack reads her a poem? (laughs) That's what melts her icy heart. It's a love interest. Which it is. We yes. thought, we thought because we are reading the books for the first time, we thought Marcy King was just building up to be another Peter Parker love interest. I, I'm certain of it. And, you know, this girl got less play than Amy Powell and Deb Whitman. And, you know, I, I don't think she, did she ever even get a real date with him or a kiss with Peter? No. And now she's off to her own miniseries where she's, you know, like the co-star of the show. Good for her. I mean, yeah, yeah, Peter's a loser in dating realms anyway. So sorry, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, well, she knew Jack Hart's from a long, or sorry, Jack Hart, not to be She knew him back in college. I don't know if she dated in high school, but let's talk about one of those girls who's still in high school And she appears in this book. From November of 1983, Stanley presents Marvel Team Up 135 featuring Spider-Man and Kitty Pride in Down Deep in Darkness by Bill Mantlo, Ron Friends, and Mike Esposito. Eddie, Spider-Man sees a robbery on a subway after smashing some windows and punching some thugs. He manages to stop the robbery and evacuate the passengers as the now runaway subway train crashes and everyone thinks Spider-Man is dead. Kitty Pry was told by Professor X to go do some babysitting since it's a typical teenager thing. <laughs> she follows the bickering two little boys who have wandered off into the sewers where the Morlocks have captured them and the unconscious Spider-Man. The boys free Spider-Man. Yeah, that's true. The little boys do it. And along with Kitty Pride, they all battle these underground creatures, again known as the Morlocks. Spider-Man throws Kitty Pride through a stalagmite and she slams the leader's head into the wall, taking him out using the fastball special, allowing the foursome to escape to the surface. Notable moment. To free Spider-Man, one boy needs some water. He grabs a human skull and uses the top of the bowl, exclaiming the only way we will survive is by using our heads. (laughs) Yes, there's some dad jokes in here, isn't there, James B.? (laughs) I, I was a little confused about the Morlocks. I mean, I think I know who they are, but this could be the first Marvel team-up where they didn't explain something enough. They're like underground people who are also mutants, who are not obviously not accepted by society, but they also want to like attack surface people, I guess. Yeah, they don't get an explanation because it's not something that's being created yeah. In this world, it's something that oh, I see. that the rest of the Marvel universe would kind of already know about. It's sort of like they don't stop and go, "Who are Shield?" and they're like, "Shield agents," right? You know what I mean, True. even though we we did that for, right for people here, they just kind of bring them in as the Morlocks are living underground, and they're people who feel like they're outcasts, and this is where they live, and leave them alone. It's it's yeah. a typical. They have mutant powers too, to a certain extent, some of them at least. Sure. Hey, Eddie. 
Ian Cooper uh, read this book. He was planning on participating in this podcast once upon a time. So he had some notes huh. and uh, he wrote one of them into us. So Ian Cooper says, hey, guys, when Spider-Man crashes in the beginning of this book, his spider sense gives him a split second warning. I noticed later the spider sense does not always work. I find this to be an annoying plot device the authors use just to get him captured. Thank you for writing in, Ian. And you're always welcome to participate on our podcasts. Uh, the spider sense, yes, it's been problematic for a while. Normally, I'm not too worried about consistency issues. You know, it's it's okay if they make mistakes here or there. But I got to agree with you, Ian. There, there's a few things that we really should have more consistent in. When Spider-Man spider sense is on or off, we got to know about it. So, Eddie, I wasn't a big fan of the Jack of Hearts book, but this was a typical book using Spider-Man and an X-Men character. There was a lot of action. There was some jokes. The plot was super easy for me to follow. I know you had a problem with the Morlocks, but basically they're underground people who could have been robbers or hobos or yes. anybody. There's some people who capture the Spider-Man and the kids, and then they fight him and they get out of there. It has a quick X-Men cameo page. It's a nice MTU. Good point, James B. I really like the plot of this one because these plots get really tangled up and confused often in several of our books <laughs> that we will cover. Well, one today, I like that. <laughs> and in the future. Yeah, well, this next book is one that it's either super easy to follow or super not easy to follow, depending on, I guess, how I explain it to you. And that's from December of 1983. Stanley presents Marvel Team Up 136 featuring Spider-Man and Wonder Man in Webs by Micheline, Friends, and Esposito. And he, businessman Daniel Stirrer was saved when a cop took a bullet for him. The cop died. He is determined to make a better bulletproof vest for the police. He unethically acquires some of Spider-Man's webbing since he knows it's bulletproof, but soon realizes he needs Spider-Man. So using part-time Avenger Wonder Man and sometimes criminal the Marauder, he devises a plan which leads to an electric explosion. And Spider-Man's capture by the Marauder. Spider-Man is not cooperative in giving up his formula while held captive. After being freed by Wonder Man, Spider-Man, in pursuit of this Daniel Stirr, watches the well-intended but misguided Stirr actually take a bullet himself to save a cop. The book ends with both heroes envious of each other, believing that only they are in financial trouble. Notable moment, in an effort to acquire Spider-Man's web, stuck fast on a girder, Stirr's men cut part of the girder with the sample on it. Uh, Wonder Man in here, he's being used as a prop in a commercial. And when he goes to demonstrate the Stern uh, webbing, uh, he easily breaks it. And then goes, gosh, Mr. Stern, I didn't mean to do that. Maybe my fingernails were too long or can I try again? But this turns into a great plot device because it's purposely done to make Stern look bad and distract from the fact that they're they're trying to go after um, Spider-Man and the webbing uh, at the end. Good book. Having him take a bullet, he can sort of die a hero. We don't have to deal with what kind of prosecution he's going to face. Did, so. you, did you say the webbing is bulletproof? I didn't read that in here. Is it? You don't think Spider-Man has webbed up a... Uh, a web shield and deflected it. 
I guess I never thought that his webbing would be bulletproof. It's definitely been def- used to deflect like lasers and energy of <laughs> some sort. Spider-Man's webbing is definitely bulletproof. bulletproof. You don't think so? You don't think he could web up? He's deflected bullets before with this. I don't think so. I don't. Th- I would think he would use this a lot more when he was like around the Punisher and, you know, Ding Dong Hitman, Hitman from a long time ago. I'm just trying to see where he says. When I, here it is. When I saw Spider-Man in a photograph in the newspaper, I'm on uh, page eight, ladies and gentlemen. When I saw Spider-Man in a photograph in the newspaper showing Spider-Man using his webbing as a shield, I know I found the answer, and it shows Spider-Man making oh, a web shield, is. and it's being deflecting a bullet. Wow. It says, okay. since his relationship to law enforcement is somewhat questionable, I thought it best to obtain a sample clandestinely through the use of a very generously compensated decoy teams. So there wow. you go. So, yeah. So it's bulletproof. Okay. He deflects all kinds of stuff with that. I mean, think of the things he does with the webbing. My goodness. I just don't recall the bullets being deflected. He literally used it to catch a flying dumpster in the corner just last <laughs> podcast. It's true. You think you can take one, bu- one bullet? So. Okay. All right. Well, you only got one book left. Maybe Spider-Man will make you some bulletproof webbing and we can see if he does. <laughs> Assuming that he's the star of his own book, let's find out if he is. From January of 1984, Stanley presents Marvel Team-Up 137 featuring Aunt May and Franklin Richards versus Galactus <laughs> by Carlin LaRocca Esposito. Eddie, we're going to do the long version of the story instead of the typical 30-second summary. Okay, it's fully deserved because this is absolute peak Marvel team-ups. And it says on here, not a hoax, not a what-if. Not an imaginary story. Uh, in a book I have lovingly read and reread, Eddie, the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man's families coincidentally end up at the circus. Ben Grimm is thoroughly enjoying the circus while Peter wanted Aunt May to invite Nathan Lubinsky as her plus one, and instead she brought Mary Jane Watson. Peter hears that the FF is about to be called away to San Diego, so he changes into Spider-Man and vouches that Aunt May could take up the duty of watching Franklin Richards. Despite her reaction to Spider-Man, Aunt May is given Franklin while his family and Spider-Man departs. I entirely missed this part about elephants at the San Diego Zoo. (laughs) James, why don't you just finish this book and we'll talk at the end. Uh, Eddie, Peter says he's going to take some photos of elephants and then he's off to San Diego. I I can't imagine how he's not going to be missed, but in the other plot line, that's going to intersect this one. Galactus needs a new herald. And while looking for Mr. Fantastic, he comes across Franklin realizing he'd be a great herald. And he tries to zap him, but Aunt May steps in and golden oldie is born. So Aunt May looks all covered in gold hair. <laughs> yes. Franklin feeds Galactus some Twinkies, and most of the book is about the search for every Twinkie on Earth. Eventually, Aunt May and Galactus leave Earth, and they find essentially the Stave Puff Marshmallow Man. Sorry, it's like the Doughboy. He's called the Doughboy Creator. He's creating worlds that look like pastries, and Galactus chooses him to be his new herald. And Aunt May is returned without her powers back to her ordinary life. Uh, in an epilogue, a series of funny panels show this as a dream sequence. Uh, notable moment, although a complete stranger, at least caregiver Aunt May can see the danger Franklin is in, unlike Alicia Masters back in Let's Read Spider-Man 149. 
may, you're making a joke here because Alicia's masters can't see anything, right? <laughs> Yeah, and she was blind. given Franklin, and then he was kidnapped, and we're like, yes. how did that happen? It was She's... the same concern I had, that Spider-Man vouches for Aunt May. Like, yeah, she can watch Franklin. Uh, but Sue Storm, as she's kind of rolling away with Reed, is like, I don't know if we should have left him with that random old lady that Spider-Man vouched for. <laughs> it's, it made me think, James B., it's, it's like we're a couple of dads. And it's not even Father's Day anymore. We're concerned <laughs> about this child. <laughs> um. We, we don't get to do the It's Shakespeare, It's Marvel team-up, but I've been threatening to try to do one. Yeah. We could sort of do one here. It's not Shakespeare, It's Marvel team-up. Using, at the end of 137. I see it. Okay. Me and my second screen sees it, too. Just the last uh, page there. I hate to bother you guys, but. Right, right. <laughs> I'll be not, Peter. All right, so this is another episode of It's Not Shakespeare, It's Marvel Team. Galactus. I hate to bother you guys again, but anybody got a glass of milk? Just then, in Peter Parker's apartment... Oh, thank goodness. It was only a dream. That settles it, PDO boy. No more late-night Twinkie breaks right before bed. That was a pretty horrible nightmare. Imagine, kindly, sweet old Aunt May, Galactus Herald. What a hoot. Or is it? She did kind of all right with him. At that same moment, in editor Danny Fingbroth's San Diego hotel room, <laughs> Oh, thank goodness, it was only a dream. Woo, I thought for a second there that my assistant, Bob Denatale, <laughs> screwed up Marvel team-ups. 137. <laughs> and just down the hall, in editor-in-chief Jim Shooter's room, he's holding on to a Garfield <laughs> yes. uh, stuffed animal. Oh, thank goodness, it was only a dream, Garfie-poo. This trip to the San Diego Comics Con <laughs> with all of Marvel editors has got me so excited, I can't sleep. And then it says... And in publisher Stanley's home, oh, thank goodness it was only a dream. Any true believer knows Galactus doesn't drink milk. And in a deep space, uh, Galactus has a thought bubble of Stanley. Oh, thank goodness it was only a dream. Nova, that nightmare upset my stomach. Can you get me a glass of warm milk? <laughs> and then it says at the end, they're all thinking to themselves, Across in Readerland, which is like supposed to be us. Oh, thank goodness it was only a dream. And it says, like we said, not a hoax, not an imaginary story, not a what if. <laughs> oh, they're so clever. <laughs> it's not Shakespeare, it's Marvel Team Up. Golden Oldie has to be one of my all-time favorite characters. Really? This, uh, th this is fantastic. You know, I think we've done so so many Marvel team-ups, James B., that I just expect something like this. And I feel like I'm rewarded when I get it. So <laughs> it's very funny to see Aunt May swooping around the universe in uh, golden Oscar form for Galactus. <laughs> Eddie, it's funny that you mentioned Father's Day. You know, of course, 
what we're celebrating right now. Uh, oh, what is that, James B.? Eddie, today is Independence Day. <laughs> Our forefathers' day. That's why we can make those jokes. Oh, good, James B. I'm so glad you could tie that in. Uh, let's let's move on to our last well, book. Can I just throw in a quick couple facts about July 4th while we're here? All right. Do it, James B. Okay. Well, I want to let you know that John Adams wrote a letter to his wife about how memorable Independence Day would be in American history. He was correct. But in his correspondence to his wife, he referred to Independence Day as... July 2nd. <laughs> Whoops. Well, who knows? Lots of things have passed since then, so. Yeah. And actually, it was celebrated on July 5th back in 1779 because it fell on a Sunday. People still want to celebrate it. So. I, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, Eddie, we got an annual left. Yes, our fourth book. It's a fifth book, Eddie, because oh, I f- squeezed it in here on you. You did. It's from October of 1983. Stanley presents Marvel Team-Up Annual 6, featuring Spider-Man and the New Mutants and Cloak and Dagger by Mantlo, Friends, and Dezubin. Eddie, Spider-Man helps Cloak and Dagger fight some drug dealers, which leads to a room full of dead youths who have overdosed. The scene shifts to the youths known as the New Mutants, and they mix it up with some local ruffians. Uh, We learn about the New Mutants' powers. Two of those kids get taken away in the rumble to be experimented on. The other two go to find help at a local church where Spider-Man happens to be, and he's located Cloak and Dagger. Eddie, the New Mutants, Cannonball, Wolfsbane, Sunspot, and Psyche. You got a minute to give us some quick facts about them? Sure. Cannonball, he can aggressively propel himself forward through the air. I assume he's also somewhat invulnerable since he's hitting things so fast. Uh, he has he has really big ears too, and he's from Kentucky. Uh, Wolfbane, who can turn into a werewolf-like creature, does several things in this book, kind of altering back between those two forms. Uh, we have Sunspot, who gains strength from the sun, so he's always like, I don't know if I'm strong enough because there's no sun here. And then finally, finally we have uh, uh, how do you yeah, say this? Yeah, I know. Psych. 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 Yeah. Psych, uh, who can create illusions and has other psychic energy manipulation, I think. But yeah, she's not that important in this book. A little like, hard like, to tell. All of, them, yeah. all of them are super young, too, like 16 or younger. And they look a little weird, like I said. Cannonball's got big ears. Wolfsbane has these big chubby cheeks, actually. <laughs> and they're clumsy and precocious. Yeah, she's, she's Scottish, too. Uh, Wolfsbane and Sunspot have, like, adverse effects to the drugs, so Cloak and Dagger have to save them. And everyone bonds, and they're all super nice to each other, and Cloak and Dagger get offered to go to Xavier's school, and they're like, nah. So there you go. Hey, notable moment, Spider-Man is fighting in the meatpacking plant full of big racks of beef, and he says to the bad guys, you'll be dead meat. This is your fourth pun of this podcast i think james b and your notable moments <laughs> i was more interested in roberto uh who is sunspot beating what looks like space invaders six times in a row in the arcade that they're in <laughs> i love arcades so that's <laughs> your highlight i think this was the best marvel team-up annual even though it didn't have conan the barbarian or the purple man in it 
They decided to have Spider-Man not fight Cloak and Dagger, which is so funny because he fights against him constantly in Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, and Marvel team is always about heroes fighting each other. I, I couldn't believe he wasn't fighting them. It was a really easy-to-follow story with a few believable plot twists and appropriate use of all characters. And uh, you mentioned Psyche. I think she used her power once. Did you catch when she used it? I think she used it to scare uh, Cloak. And also the ruffians that were roughing them up one time. I thought it was twice there. So the battle is very clumsy, which I think is appropriate because they're all very young teenagers. The book is, you know, it's an okay book. Um, I, I actually miss the obligatory hero battle, James B. Mark the record. I wanted a battle in here. What? <laughs> once so again, I'm like completely into Marvel team-ups here, and I like seeing the powers face off against Spider-Man. I'm, so. I'm just so tired of Cloak and Dagger being all sus with Spider-Man. They barely can... Oh, yeah. Barely... Well, yeah. He doesn't need to fight them, but he should have fought the four X-Men, because I think he could have took them actually pretty easily, too. Sure. I have a sponsor. Okay. Who is it? Before I talk about the sponsor, I want to let you know that uh, people spend $1 billion on fireworks every year. <laughs> that I entirely believe. The state of Michigan spends a quarter of that billion. <laughs> <laughs> According to the American Pyrotechnics Association, the numbers go up every year. The biggest celebrations, Macy's 4th of July fireworks show, which takes over 8,000 hours to prepare. That's a lot of money. Wow. Eddie, you don't need that much money for today's sponsor. Thank goodness. Eddie, do you love toys? I do. Well, the Tinker has gathered three Marvel Team Up villains, I mean experts, to help design the newest line of Marvel Team Up action figures. Monster creator Baron Ludwig von Strupp, the rob robot creator the Mad Thinker, <laughs> Puppet Master, you know, I know, they all should be involved. Look, I got three more of these. They've lent their expertise to create the toys kids want to play with and collectors like you, Eddie, want to collect. This 19th set, which is not a billion dollars, but could be worth it one day. Has three fig only three figures? What? Has three figures from this classic run of books by J.M. DiMatteis and inked by Mike Esposito. The set includes from Marvel Team Up 134. Uh, Marcy Kane. What are you laughing at? That's like She's the main character. She has no superpowers. Next one, James B. From Marvel Team Up 137. Harold Doughboy. What? <laughs> Saves the day, comes through, uh, gets Galactus off the Earth's back. This is like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Okay, all right. That's okay. Premium figure, Marvel Team Up, 137. Get your wallet out, get your credit card out, get your Venmo out. It's Golden Oldie, Eddie. Golden Oldie is the oh, premium yeah! figure. Oh, yeah! I will take Golden Oldie, as stated earlier. Mark the record, they've made a toy I like. There you go. And if you want, you can... Pretend she's Aunt May occasionally too, and she can be. You can have her to ask Marcy Kane how Peter's doing. I, I could like, yeah, I could like color her in for a while, like paint her or something. So, all right. Well, Eddie, um, one thirty-seven is probably my favorite book, uh, but these four books were barely team-ups. I mean, Kitty Pride is the only one who actually teamed up to fight, and the closest book that has any sort of true villain. The other books were just strange stories yeah i thought like the jack of hearts book you no. think it's like oh the villain who's the villain yeah 
Exactly. The Jack of Hearts is, I guess. I don't know. The Shield is? Shield is more than the Jack of Hearts? So you're not even yeah. sure. And then the guy's like, I'm going to make a bulletproof vest for the police. And then he's like, oh, I died saving yeah. a cop. You're like, oh, he got what's, he got what's coming to him, <laughs> that villain. I try to be a hero. Uh, yeah, I really love Golden Oldie. It was peak Marvel team-ups. All right, well, it's uh, time for you to tell people how they can reach us. Email us anytime at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com. Or you could find us on Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. Eddie, did you know that U.S. soldiers got a special treat on the 4th of July in 1778? No. What did they get? <laughs> Double ration of rum. <laughs> Probably right there in your home state, Connecticut, James B. Could have been. Could have been. <laughs> and now it's time for the close. I'm James B. Joined by... Eddie! And remember, listeners... The next time someone makes fun of Hostess Snack Cakes, remind them that if not for Twinkies, we'd all be dead meat. Goodbye. Goodbye. Twinkies. That's good. Because you see, I tied in two things. Yes, you did. <laughs> James B., the wordplay in this whole show has been just over the top. <laughs> it's it's Marvel team up. <laughs>